Welcome to the Gospel Revolution Church. Welcome to everybody watching online. This is the umpteenth edition of group talk, group chat, group Bible study, whatever you like to call it. We're just so glad all you guys would come and sit around the table with us and just uh, share Jesus, talk Jesus, share what's in your heart. Um, like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, when you gather together, is there anybody here that has not believed on the Lord Jesus for life? Is there anybody here that hasn't called upon the name of the Lord, asking him to father life in you? Okay, then we all got the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what that means is, is that the Spirit will move as the Spirit wills. And don't discount what the Spirit might give an unction inside of you to say. Okay? Don't discount what you might say. Don't discount that the Holy Spirit might have something to say. Right? So keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, just a couple of announcements to remind everybody watching online. We are having a gathering in November, November 2nd through the 5th. We have Bertie Brits from South Africa. We have Linda McFarland from uh, Canada. We have uh, Gwendolyn McLeod from Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have Rick Sarver from Myrtle Beach. And we have uh, myself from Slaudel, Louisiana. Right um, at the gathering, and we'll be uh, man coming together underneath Christ, who is the head, um, and it'll just be a great time together. And so, if you hadn't already registered, please register for that. You can register for that on Eventbrite. the The event name is Braided Together. I think is that it? Braided Together. I one, think that's one right. One body braided together. One body braided together is the thing, but I think the website or the link is braiditogether.eventbrite.com. Go there and register um, because we'll be providing lunch and dinner Saturday and Friday, and we'll want to get a head count so we, we can tell the resort how many people we need to feed. Uh, register for that on Eventbrite. Once you register on Eventbrite, you will get an email from Eventbrite that gives you a link if you want to reserve a room at the resort where most everyone will be staying, you can get a group rate. And the group rate will save you $113 if you stay all four nights, okay? And that $113 will be deducted at the time of checkout. So don't be confused if you go and book your room under the link and you think there's no discount. It doesn't show a discount at first. And the resort agrees. That's very confusing. <laughs> but there will be a discount at the time of checkout. And if you stay every all nights, every night, it's $113. So come be with us. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be gathering people from all over the world. And uh, we're just going to get together and uh, talk Jesus, right? And it's going to be powerful. We're going to minister one to another, kind of like this. We'll have individual speaking sessions, but we'll have breakout sessions where people get to share what they heard, what they received. We'll have live praise and worship. I don't know exactly how it will go down because like we just said, the spirit moves as the spirit wills. And so there's gonna be some evenings or some sessions where I'm probably gonna lead everybody that wants to into group ministry, where we can pray for one another, we can give words to one another, we can encourage one another, exhort one another, speak the comfort with which we've received from the Lord to one another, and just let and see what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. Plus. All y'all will get to meet all these people that I know. And all y'all don't know. And most of y'all have not met them, right? And they, they've been part of our church for like 12 years, right? And I, I get to go travel and meet with them and hang out with them and know them. And just like y'all are awesome, they're awesome too, 
And so it'd be really cool for y'all to be able to see one, one another in the flesh. Yes, we're with each other in spirit, even though there's continents and oceans separating us. But man, when you could see each other in the flesh and grab on and squeeze and say, I love you, man. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So if you can be there, um, man, come join us. If you can't be there, the plan is to live stream the, the sessions. And so we will um, do that. And then also I'll be in uh, Ireland, in Holland. No, you can't. You can't drive there unless you've invented some type of new car. Unless you, you and Elon Musk have uh, come up with some type of flying thing. But I'll, for everybody watching online that's overseas, I'm going to be in Ireland the 27th through May 10th. Um, more meetings are being scheduled now, but so far I'll be uh, preaching at two different churches. Sunday the 30th in the morning and the evening, the Freedom Center. Um, and then uh, May 7th, uh, the next Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday evening at River City Church in uh, no Northern Ireland. If you both are in Northern Ireland, I'll be posting details later. But if you're overseas and you can make it, we'd love to see you. Um, and just, uh, man, rejoice together in Jesus. Y'all ready to pray? Yes, sir. Glory to God. Father, this might not be an upper room, but it is a room. Amen. And we've come together today to uh, just hang out with you. We've come together in one spirit, the spirit of your love for us, the spirit of your desire to produce life in us, the spirit of your will to bring forth your fruit in us, Lord. We come together in agreement with you, Lord, and uh, we just commit our desire for, for life, our desire for your life to be manifested in us. We commit it into your hands, Lord, just like Jesus did on the cross. And we know that we have a certainty that your spirit will minister to our hearts, that your spirit is here in this place. Your spirit is with us, guiding us into the truth, that you're here with us, ministering to us, that your hand is stretched forth towards us, that your hand is resting on our heads, that your hand is speaking life, speaking blessing over us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. What do y'all want to talk about? We will talk about Jesus. I drive the conversation so much, I want to give an opportunity for somebody else to bring something up if they would like. <clears throat> awkward silences don't make me feel awkward. Yeah. <laughs> They used to make me feel awkward too, but then I realized that when we feel weak, God is made strong. So the more awkward we might feel with the silence, God might just flex out in somebody, right? Right. <laughs> uh, I hope you know what I'm what I mean. Anyone? Anyone have any thoughts about anything going on in their life? Anybody got something they want to share about what the Lord is doing in their life? Well, I'll throw a topic out on the table. I would like for different people to speak to this because we're there's so many people that are coming in, especially on the internet, that are new. And in that process, people are discovering that their idea of Christianity and their idea of a relationship with God was actually born from lust and they're finding out it's not 
what they originally thought they signed up for. So how would you speak to somebody in navigating that process from walking from that place into the place of truth? May I ask a question? When you say, Matt, from lust, lust of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lust, lust of what? When I say lust, I'm speaking to um, an idea that was presented to you about what life with God would look like. You know, like all of a sudden, Jesus is going to be the magic rabbit's foot that you can rub that causes everything in your life to go right. Okay. And that's the bill of goods that a lot of people were sold. Mm -hmm. That you would have all the worldly stuff. Exactly. And no trials and tribulations. Yeah. To a point. That God would be like a cosmic slot machine, mm -hmm. right? Whereby you see the riches in the world. You think those riches can satisfy you, and now you've engaged with the gospel from the perspective of thinking the gospel will be the power to you getting the riches of the world. And that's how you began your life with God, thinking if I work these principles, if I work these things, then I'm going to get the riches the world has. And through gaining the riches the world has, then I'm going to find satisfaction in my heart, right? Um, that's how I engaged with God in the beginning, out of ignorance. Not out of rebellion, but just out of not knowing any better, right? Because you grow up in the world, and whether we realize it or not, the world is all the time actively teaching us that the life we're longing for is in the world, yeah. right? The world is actively speaking that to us. And I don't know if we realize this, but the scripture says eternity was put in the hearts of all people. Eternity being in our hearts, do you know what that means? Every human being has a desire for life like a strong desire for life. Why do you think it bothers you so much if you think you don't have something you need for life? Where did that come from? Did you take a class that told you that you should be upset? No, you just knew. So we're born into this world, and part of our design is that we have a strong desire for life. We have a strong desire to feel satisfaction. We have a strong desire to be filled with peace and love and joy and contentment right? Well, we're born into the world and the world is all the time telling us this can give you that. That can give you that. These things can give you that. If you can situate this, if you can get a spouse, if you can get the right job, if you can live a certain amount of years, if you can make a certain amount of money, if you can get the right kind of car, if you could do enough good deeds, if you can, if you can, if you can, if you can, then you could satisfy that eternity that's in your heart, right? I'll use myself as an example. When I was a little boy, I could run real good. And I started getting attention from people internationally because I could run real good. Well, I was too young to understand, but I immediately decided that running then was the power unto me being acceptable. Running was the power unto me being justified. Running was the power for me to have peace and love and joy. Running was the power for me to feel contentment. And if I could just work this running that I could do, then I could gain all these accolades from the world, and then that would be the power unto me having life. And what I did was I engaged with God, trying to get God to be the strength behind me gaining the accolades of the world, right? I.e., I'm going to win some Olympic gold medals. And I'm going to break some world records. And then from that foundation, then people will see there's glory in me.
You all have a desire to be revealed to be full of glory. Do you all know that? God puts that in you. Do you know why? Because he wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek him. He knows he's the only one that has the life that you want. So it's like a homing signal. It's like E.T. phone home. You guys remember E.T.? Was E.T. happy when he was left here? No, he had this thing inside of him that was like, phone home, phone home, phone home, phone home. And so E.T. was busy trying to phone home. He had like an internal homing mechanism. We got an internal homing mechanism, right? That's causing us to seek after glory and life, right? And God put that in us so that we might seek after him if happily we might find him, right? Now the world comes along to try to give us a detour. Right? And tries to say that homing signal you have on the inside. This is where it's trying to take you. This is where it's trying to get you. Hello. Help yourself. There's donuts in the back. There's uh, sausage bread. There's bagels. There's coffee. Whatever you like. And so for me, that was where I was seeking life and glory. And I tried to use God as the power to gain that. Now, listen, that set me up for a gigantic fall. Right, because first of all, it don't matter. I could have won every gold medal there ever was. I could let's say I got it right to be in every Olympics, and I won every Olympics, and I broke the world record every week. You know what that could never give me? Glory. You know what it could never give me? Peace, love, joy, acceptance. Right? And so when all that came crashing down, it was a big problem. We like to call it what a, a midlife crisis, an identity crisis, where I judged myself based on the life in the world and what I thought I had or didn't have. But then it left me in the place where for a time I was angry at God, right? The, the, the wisdom of the world, it didn't just accuse me and, and uncover my nakedness and tell me I didn't have what I needed for life. Do you know what it also came and did? It came and accused God in my presence because I was running myself into the ground every week to the point of throwing up blood. I mean, I would go work all day. I'd run 15 miles in the morning. I'd run 10 miles at lunch. And so I was working my part, Lord. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't do your part. Right? And I'm, I'm just being honest. I, 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 I had those conversations with God. I don't know if you guys realize, but I don't always think before I speak. <laughs> and listen... I mean, I guess I thank God for this now that my intensity even overcame my fear of God in the beginning where I had a wrong idea of fear and I was afraid of God. And I would just tell God how it was. But you see, that idea that I could find life in the world and that I would use God to get me the life that I had in the world, that idea also undressed God in my present. And you know what it tried to tell me about God? That he was not as he ought to be as the life giver that he was not as he ought to be as father. Any of you ever thought God failed you? Think back to why you thought he failed you. It's because something didn't go right in your life in this world. Something that you had judged in this world that you thought could give you what you needed. And the moment you didn't get it, what's wrong with God? Where's your God now? Right? And so, man, in, in my own life, I come to this place where I was angry with God in my backyard. And I'm not ashamed to say it because I realize God's not ashamed of me. God realizes that we have a strong desire for life. And he realizes we were born into a world where there's death in it and that we were never created to see death. And so he's not surprised when we could behave the way we do. (laughs) 
But after all that and my idea of where I could find life started crashing down in front of me, I felt like I was dying. And you know what? I was in the backyard cursing God, telling him that his gospel stinks. He's not as he ought to be his father. Right? See, I was judging God by the life in the world, thinking the life that was in the world is what could satisfy me. And then I was judging God as inadequate, unrighteous, and not as he ought to be his father because he didn't give me what I needed. And then he come and told me, you're right, Greg, that gospel does stink. <laughs> he said, because that's not the gospel. And what you're after, Greg, isn't really life. You're after perishable things. You're after corruptible things that could never satisfy your desire for life. And he unwound the lust that was in my heart for life, right? And the way he unwound it is he started showing me the life I was seeking was the life that manifested in the Lord Jesus when he came out of the grave. And he showed me that none of the riches in the world didn't matter. You could have everything Solomon had. None of that could bring forth the glory that manifested in the Lord Jesus when he came out of the grave. And immediately when I beheld the glorified man, Jesus, it was like when Paul was on the road to Damascus. And he saw everything he had been longing for right there in Jesus, right? That's what I saw. And now my homing signal got linked up to what really was eternity. And my heart began forsaking everything in the world that I thought I could gain life from. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy things in the world. It doesn't mean they're not there for you to enjoy. But your heart stops attaching to them, trying to find contentment and satisfaction. And then what happens is, is because your heart, the homing signal, ET phone home, Greg phone home, Greg started phoning home and Greg started beholding the life that was in heaven. And Greg's affection was set on above where his life was hid with God and Christ. And I started finding myself fed with the nutrients of life, the nutrients that satisfy. I began finding God giving birth to contentment and satisfaction and peace and love and joy and all those things inside of myself. Right? I hope that fills out some of what Matt was posing by me just sharing kind of a part of my walk with God. But I got to believe a lot of you have had a similar thing. And I got to believe a lot of you are either where I'm at now, having seen that, or you've moved past that, or you're in route right now to learning that. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But I got to believe everyone, every human being, has encountered that kind of thing. They might use different words, but that's the the journey of life, right? We're trying to find life. Every human's trying to find life. The question is, where can it be found, right? And the question is, where are we looking to try to find it, right? You know, it's interesting. The scriptures actually say those things, but we look at the scriptures and we're trying to, like, <laughs> philosophically figure out what this stuff is talking about when it's trying to tell you plainly that the life is found in his son. And if you have the son, you have the life. It, it's like the most ridiculously simple answer to life that there can possibly be. It's ridiculously simple. But we want to say, no, it can't be that simple. I gotta, I, I gotta figure out uh, how to find the life. So it's, it's not just looking for things in the world to make you happy. 
it's trying to satisfy your intellect and your mentality that you somehow or another or uh, you find yourself trying to justify yourself by your knowledge. And you're not going to justify yourself by your much knowledge. You're going to justify yourself in the one who gave you his resurrected life yeah. in his glory. When, so when you have his glory, when you have his resurrected life, you have everything you need for life and godliness. But somebody has to hear that kind of thing and actually believe it. You, you actually hear the truth and believe the truth. Yeah. But everybody is out there, oh, I just can't believe it. I got to do something. And, and when you're out doing something <laughs> to attain the life, you'll never attain the life. You can only receive the light. Yeah. And even just the thought that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. Godliness doesn't, I don't want to say this, I'll just say it radically. We've only thought of godliness in the sense of good behavior. Yeah. yeah. Listen, when, you, when you're filled with peace, it will change your behavior. But the main point of the godliness isn't behavior, right? Everything that pertains to life and godliness, godliness is that God is filled with peace and love and joy. Yes. God is filled with patience. God is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So everything you need to find satisfaction and peace and love and joy, God has freely given it to us in His Son. And so the place you would look when you don't feel satisfaction, the place that you would look when you don't feel acceptance, the place that you would look when you feel rejected, the place you would look when you think you need joy and you don't have it, the place you would look when you think you need love and you're not loved, all those things, the place you would look for that is the Lord Jesus, the word that was made flesh in the Lord Jesus. That's why Paul would come and say to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So what he's saying there, John come and described that as the word of life, that which was from the beginning, the testimony God gave in his son about where we would find life. So great is the mystery of how you can find godliness, how you can find peace and love and joy. God was manifest in the flesh. And what you want to do, if you that doesn't make sense to you, if you're struggling in your intellect to understand how that plays itself out, don't be discouraged and think there's something wrong with you. That tells you you're in the place where you tell God, I don't necessarily understand how that works itself out. How can I find love by looking at the word that was made flesh in Jesus? How I hear that and I, I want to agree, but I don't understand how that could happen, right? Begin there. And you might be, be like me. Eventually God took me to the place. He said, well, Greg, you don't need to understand for me to do it. Right. And then I tell you what, after he did it is when I understood. Yeah. Right? Because after he did it, then I could look back and I could see it clearly. And then I could start expressing what he did. So so don't if if you feel like I can't grasp how I will have peace by looking to Jesus. I can't grasp how I'll have contentment. I can't grasp that. Well, that tells you that's where you're at in your walk with God. And that tells you that's where you begin your conversation with God. Right? Because God ever liveth right? To make intercession in your heart. He ever liveth to minister to you. He ever liveth to guide you into the place where you're experiencing his life, right? That's what he's there for. And so don't be frustrated. Begin there. Does that make sense? So the little Bible that was sitting right here was open to 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Greg. So 
I've been listening to you for years, and I think the most impactful thing you ever said that I ever heard was the day you were up there and you said, I hate this chair. <laughs> and it's really made, so I've been thinking about this a lot. And because, I don't know, that really grasped me because, like, I mean, you really hated this inanimate object. But I, but I know what was behind it was the idea. And um, I think going back to what you said about racing, running, and it was from other people. And the chair was from other people. And I think, though, so, I mean, you're in Christ. So I forgot which part of the Bible says, you, you know, you throw off the old man and you put on the new man. And I think your new man was rebelling against the old man, which represented the chair. I don't know if you were actually thinking it out or it was just something within your spirit that said, I hate this chair because I, <laughs> I hate that past. And, and, and I'm trying to tie it into us, too. So how do we recognize when we see the old man or the old woman you know, coming at us? And how do we combat it like you did? I mean, because we don't, the chair's not there anymore. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. I don't know that I would draw the correlation to myself that you did, but I'll respond based on you having drawn that correlation to yourself. The, the old man is the man who says, I don't have what I need for life. The old man is the man who is clothed and joined together with death. And because they're clothed and joined together to death, they don't have what they need to experience peace and love and joy. They don't have what they need to experience life and godliness. So how can you know when the old man is trying to talk to you? Whenever you hear the voice telling you you don't have something you need for life. That's the voice of the old man. Whenever you hear the voice telling you you're separated from God and you're separated from what you need to have God's life, that's the voice of the old man. Whenever you hear some voice telling you, if you could only gain this, then you could be satisfied. Then you could be happy. Then that's the voice of the old man, right? So most specifically, we've made the old man about an identity, yeah. right? The old man is not about an identity. The old man is the state of that man. And the state of that man is they were in death, right? And not only were they in death, that death blinded their eyes, so they couldn't comprehend that God was right there with them, giving them everything they needed for life and godliness. So they lived as if they were separated from what they needed, and they lived as if what they needed was out without in the world, and if they could only gain it or gather it to themselves, then they could clothe themselves. That's the old man, right? That's why the old man is living by the sweat of his brow. That's why the old man is always filled with labors and annoyances, because he's always saying, I don't have what I need for peace. I don't have what I need for love. If I can get the right retirement, if I can retire at the right age, if I could just stop working, then I could have what I need. That's the old man, right? The new man was revealed in the Lord Jesus, who even when he was stripped naked and beaten and a cross put on his back, and then he was nailed to that cross, and they put a crown of thorns on him, and he was mocked and spit on and cussed, that that Lord Jesus, that new man, do you know what that new man said in that place? The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. He leadeth me beside the still waters of grace. He makes quiet the storms of this death. 
He maketh me to lie down in the tender green grass. He prepares a table of life for me in the midst of my enemies. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this death is not lifted up in my heart. For I see you are with me, O Lord, Abba. We read Psalm 22 and we say it's a prophetic psalm. And it's prophetic about the Lord Jesus. And then, because the modern world has added in chapters and verses, we get to Psalm 23 and somehow it's no longer the Lord Jesus. Except it is the Lord Jesus. Because you know what the valley of the shadow of death was? He just said what it was in Psalm 22. When he said, the bulls of Bashan have encompassed me. They've circled around me and they are gaping on me. And then the Lord Jesus, you see what the new man said? Do you think that there's any greater stumbling block to having life than the cross that the Lord Jesus was nailed to? Do you think there was any greater voice that could tell a man that he didn't have what he needed for life? That he was separated from everything he needed for peace and love and joy? Could there be any greater sign that you were separated from life and godliness? Except that man said, the Lord is here shepherding my life. I lack nothing. You see what he said? He realized in the place, you think, you know what Jesus needed on the cross? He had eternity in his heart too. Do you know what he needed? Peace, love, joy, contentment, rest. And when he needed that, where did he look? Abba! Right? Paul would come and say it this way. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither shipwreck, neither peril, neither sword, neither lashings. That's the echoing of the new man. Yes. That's what Jesus said on the cross. This death can't separate me from the love of the Father. Right? And so those are the two voices of the new man. That's the new man, the old man. The old man says, Every, the world can separate me from the life that I need. The new man says, nothing can separate me from the life of God. Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. Because the world can't overcome God. Neither can the world give God a stiff arm. The death in the world could not stiff arm God. It couldn't. God manifested in the earth and he stiff armed death. And he went and scored a touchdown. And he struck the Heisman pose. The resurrection is the Heisman pose. Right? And now the gospel is God's speech about how he won the Heisman. Right? <laughs> and what it means for the world. You see? But the chair, listen, the chair was my idea. The reason why I sat in the chair is because I feel very uncomfortable talking in front of people. I actually hate the organization. I hate the time and the camera, and we got to have the lights, and we got to do it at a certain time. I can't stand the structure. I want to be let loose in the street where there is no structure, where there is nothing that's supposed to be a certain way. And so the chair helped me when I went to Switzerland because I felt comfortable for a moment in the chair. Because I don't know if you realize, I get to moving around. Oh, yeah. So I enjoyed, the, cha I enjoyed the chair for a moment because it corralled me. But then I began to loathe the chair because I wanted to walk around. And I wanted to move around. And I was starting to like, the chair was starting to come up off the ground. Right? And so I began to hate the chair. Right. Right? And you that's when you heard oh, yeah. me say that. I hate this chain. You ever see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I did. Remember the scene where he asked Sundance to shoot the can or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And he's aiming at it and he misses like three or four times. And the guy says, Well, this guy can't shoot. And he said, Can I move? And then he moves and he shoots it in the hallway. Perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was the reasoning behind I hate the chair in that moment. And there'll probably be a time where I might sit down in the chair again. See, the point, the point is, whether I'm in the chair or not in the chair, 
What I need comes from God. Amen. Right? Amen. It's the old man that says the power behind you preaching powerfully or the spirit moving powerfully is if you're in the chair or if you're not in the chair or if you can get rid of all the stuff, then that's the power. That's how the old man would think. The new man says, whether I'm in the chair, or I'm not in the chair. The power is in the spirit. The new man says, whether there's a camera, or there's not a camera. The spirit is the power. It's the word that you speak that is spirit and life, right? And so that's the struggle with the old man. If you want to call it a struggle, I actually believe the gospel will stop the mouth of the old man where you're no longer struggling with the voice of the old man. The gospel will exercise your senses, your sight and your ears to where you begin to discern clearly the voice of the old man, right? And you just start to, your heart begins to disesteem that voice, yeah. right? It starts to become the kind of voice where the mouth is running all the time, but you no longer hear it, right? You don't, don't hear it anymore. I mean, there's people, hold on, there's people that hate me sitting in the chair. People would message me, when are you going to get out of that chair? The power is when you get excited. And then there was people messaging me about how you got to sit in the chair. Because when you don't sit in the chair, I can't follow you. And you're always yelling. And it's very upsetting. <laughs> right? And so the point is, you can never satisfy the carnal mind. And Paul would come and say, whether you eat the meat or don't eat the meat matters nothing because the kingdom of God is not found in meat or drink. It's not found in whether you sit in a chair or don't sit in the chair, right? The kingdom of God is found in the Holy Spirit, right? Mo. Well, I, I got to say this because it's, it's important, okay? You know where the chair came from? I suggested the chair. Now, I got to tell you something. I thought, you know, this is, was my idea. My idea was he would have a stool there, not a chair, but a stool, where he could just kind of walk over there and periodically sit down and take a rest. Okay? And it would be kind of a relaxing atmosphere. But he thought I meant a chair, but I really meant a stool. So he got this chair, and for years he's sitting on his chair, and I'm thinking, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> It's like the Seinfeld episode where George wanted to get a chair for the security guard so he could take a rest. So, so now that we got that straight, you know, maybe it'll, it'll, it'll work its way out. So, so Jim, you noticed the Bible was open in Corinthians. Yeah. What do you got to say about that? Well, we're talking about a false gospel, and I think the Corinthian church was busy with that. And so Paul comes along in uh, 1 Corinthians, and he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so as to remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, profited me nothing. And then he explains what love is. And we have tried to, to uh, teach people that if you'll just do this, then you'll be happy. Well, it's not about that. That's a description of who God is. Mm -hmm. And so if I trust him to be my life, then that is the fruit that is expressed through me without me trying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. If you know God as Father, what'll happen is, is you'll see he's there like wanting to, I mean, knocking death out of the way to give you life, right? And when you see the great lens, this guy, God, I know it upsets people sometimes when I say that, but God is personal to me. He's my friend. He's not like some pie in the sky. 
This guy, God, when you see what he went through just to get you life, you begin to say, like our dear sister Gwen said, only a father would lay down his life for their children. And you begin to know God as father, right? And as you begin to know God as father, the, the veil is removed and you begin to know yourself the way God always has known you, which is his beloved child in whom he loves. And then what happens is, is he fathers his life in you, right? And then that love starts pouring out of you. And you start experiencing the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of the love of God, which is what Paul prayed, right? That we would know that, that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, the love that has come upon us through the Christ, right? And be filled with all the fullness that's in God. That's right. That's right. All the fullness that's in God. It's an interesting thing when you read those verses about love there, isn't it? And it's interesting when you go back, because like you said, the carnal mind wants to read those verses about love. I mean, in weddings, we think it sounds nice and poetic to read those verses and then tell the husband and the wife about how they're supposed to do that. That's like telling Adam to clothe yourself, right? We, we ought to read those verses at a wedding and tell the people about how that's God's promise to them yeah. and how he will be that to them. But you can just remove love is, love is, love is, and put God is, God is, God is, because God is love, right? Is the point Jim's making so beautifully, right? And you could get a great idea of how God will be with people by putting God in the place of love in those passages in 1 Corinthians 13. For anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, go and they call it the love chapter, right? Go and read that. Right? Love is perfect. God is perfect. Amen. The gospel is not about you and your perfection towards God. The gospel is about how he is perfect as father. He is perfect as the one that will love you unto life. He is perfect as the one that will die away your death. He is perfect as Abba. And as you walk before his perfection towards you, you will find yourself being perfected by his light. Meaning, you'll find yourself being filled with peace and love and joy. Do you know what it means to be perfected? We were created to be filled with the life of God, peace and love and joy. And the way you're pre- perfected is by seeing his perfection towards you to give birth to that inside of you. And as you walk before his perfection towards you, you will find your life being filled with his peace. Right? And we, we um, it says that he keeps no record of wrongs. Mm. And the idea we have of God is that he's up there with a book recording all of our screw-ups. <laughs> and one day when we meet him, he's going to say, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Let's see which way you're going, heaven or hell. And a lot of people believe that. Mm. I mean, that is the false gospel, right? Yeah. That's right. A lot of people have confused God with Santa Claus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and exactly. he's, he's keeping a record, right? Better who's been naughty and who's been nice, right? But... Like to your point, the scripture says God keeps no record of the wrongs committed against him. Imagine that. I I just got to say that contradicts what the modern church has taught for hundreds of years. One of the one of the biggest problems in America is the I hate to say this. I'm part of the church. The modern church is one of the biggest problems in America because we have profaned the name of God in this land. By telling all the unbelievers that God is keeping a record of their wrongs. Guess what you don't want? 
You don't want to be around someone who's keeping a record of your wrongs. Any of you ever dwelt in a house with a person that's keeping a record of all your wrongs? <laughs> does it create intimacy? No. Does it cause the two people to come together or does it cause them to find separate corners of a house? Right. Okay, so we've been telling the we we condemn the world for not coming to God, but then the way we're describing God to them is causing them to run away from God. And then we blame them. Amen. Right? The body of Christ needs to come together and realize we have blasphemed the name of God. God's not ashamed of us because we've done that. He can understand how the traditions of man make the word of God of none effect, and we ought to just come together and start preaching the God that Jesus revealed in this himself, right? Yes. And declaring that. And then we'll start finding the name of God being esteemed, right? Right? You start describing God as not the punisher, the justifier, not the accuser, but the one who saves, the one who heals. Not the one who makes sick, the one who heals, yeah. right? right? And so, man, the church is very good at, at discerning good fruit from bad fruit. We're very bad at understanding how that dynamic works. And we're very, the church lives by the knowledge of good and evil. And we've judged God by the knowledge of good and evil. And we've judged ourselves and people by that same knowledge. Yeah. And what's happened is, is that while we should be kings and priests in the earth, we're not because we don't even know God. We have a picture of God. And I just want to finish this point, and then I want you to speak up. And I just have to say this, because it's not going to change if no one will say it. We're in the same place that Israel was when Jesus came, the American church. We are at a crossroads. We are at the same place Israel was, where we have a zeal for God, but we don't know God. Right? And we can't be kings and priests to the world, because we're busy telling them that God hates them because of their sin. And we're telling them things about God that are not going to draw them to God. We're telling them things about God that are going to make them cower away from God and hide from God and be ashamed of God and think that God's ashamed of them. God is not ashamed of anyone when he finds them in their nakedness. He's not ashamed of anyone when he finds them dead in their sin. That would be like saying the good Samaritan is ashamed of the guy that's been left on the road bloody and beaten and left for dead by the thief. He's not ashamed of us. That's how you're going to get people running to God. I promise you, people in their hearts already have a conscience that's filled with the knowing of good and evil. They can tell when the fruit coming out of their life is the fruit of death. I don't care what they said. Now, if you come and tell them about how God doesn't despise them because of what's going on in their life, he's not against them, that he's there with them to love their lives. Listen, you might find some people calling upon the name of the Lord. Rose. Yes, sir. What you got to share? Everybody here has accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you the secret to success for the Christian life. I'm 86 and a half years old. I accepted Christ when I was 15 years old. I didn't know nothing. I didn't even have a Bible in my house. Went to church on a Sunday morning and I was a Catholic and we had a side altar where they used to put the baby Jesus in the crib at Christmas time. <laughs> and I remember praying a prayer at that altar. And I said, Jesus, I want to grow up to know who you are and who you became as the man of God. I became a woman of God right then and there. And my whole life from that point was to seek and to know Jesus Christ. 
for who he is, who he was, and who he ever will be. And my life is a living testimony. And I have friends here who know me that can testify to the fact that I live the Christian life as much as I can every single day. And Greg, I don't mean to embarrass you in front of your church, baby, but I could preach this message anywhere, anytime, any any place, because I have lived it for 80 years or almost 80 years. The secret to the Christian life is to know Jesus Christ for who he is and who he is in your life now. I can tell you what he did for me 25 or 35 years ago, but I want to tell you what he's doing for me now. He's given me great revelation from the word of God. And your pastor here can testify to this because I gave him words that God gave me to give him out of the word. And I'm not saying any of this to be beating myself on the back, praising myself, knocking myself out. No, I'm saying this to you, that every single one of you here have the ability to learn what I have learned about him, who he is, what he does, where he does, and when he does, and with who he does. You said something a while ago about he is a healer and a deliverer. Well, I can't tell you my whole life story because then we wouldn't need. Then no one else would be able to talk. (laughs) But the thing of it is, he has healed me. He saved me. He healed me. He delivered me. He set me free. And he put me on a pinnacle in many places where other people would be scared to death to go. It was prophesied over me by a prophet who's been around the world, who said to me one day, he pointed his finger in my face, just like I'm doing the gym now. He said, and you, you're gonna see things that other people will never see. You will hear things other people will never hear. And you will understand and know things that other people will never understand and know. But God has chosen you. He gave me a song that says, stand by me. And in the beginning of that song, he says, I knew you and I called you before the foundation of the world. So I'm in the palm of God's hand all these days of my life. And it's all because my choice was just to know Jesus Christ for who he is. Amen. who he was, who he is, and who he will be. Glory to God. Now, let me blow your mind with this last thought. When I say we know who he was from all of creation to now, when we got to the cross, I just blew somebody's mind with this the other day. The revelation is from the scripture from natural thinking that at the foot of that cross was his mother and his young apostle John. But guess what the Lord revealed to me 
and told me, you, each and every one of you here, you were at the foot of the cross when he died because he didn't shed his blood only for his mother and for John. He shed his blood for each and every one of us, yeah. which means that when he was dying and shedding <laughs> his blood on that cross, you were there. And that's why he shed his blood was for you so that you would know him in the fullness of who he is, who he was, and who he is in your life now and who he ever will be. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Father, amen. glory and to I'll God. Say amen to that. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Right? Glory to God. I kind of, so to go back on your like whole, how the modern church is growing up, we every church in my area used to get all, all the kids together to this big kind of conference three times a year. And I remember one of them said that the kid, like as they're growing older, they're seeing the modern youth leave the church mm -hmm. and I, they never ex quite reflected inward as to why that would be and it's be i think it's because of how that modern church is that you that it has to be oh you have to act this way you have to dress this way you have to be this certain way to obtain the life that god has set apart for you yeah and so and that's one thing i've always said i like about the way this message works and the way greg preaches his message is because it's not that way that's you know you just yeah, you just get to live in the glory of God without having to obtain the glory of God. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. What what the modern church has done, and I was part of the modern church, so I say this with all humility. This isn't to be against the church. We've judged after the flesh, and we've majored on cleaning the outside of the cup, right? And and because of that, we become whitewashed sepulchres. Right. And we've made proselytes, but we've made proselytes that are 10 times more the children of hell than we were ourselves. Right. And we, we, we haven't, it's none of my business what's going on in somebody else's. I'm not the discerner of people's hearts. I don't know what has come against their life in this world. And it's not my job to come and tell them about what they need to do to clean themselves up. It's my job to keep pointing to the God who wants to be the father of their life to where they will come and feel comfortable and come to him with boldness and be in his presence because it's in the presence of God that life can be born. And so anything I'm doing that isn't pointing people or for lack of a better term, showing them that there is that the way for them to be in the presence of God exists, I'm missing it. And I'm, I'm judging people after the flesh. Right. And I'm I'm living like the Pharisees, condemning people because of what I see in their flesh instead of understanding the reason why those things can be seen in their flesh to begin with is because they're living in the world as if they're orphans. They're living in the world as if they don't have a good father who wants to care for their life. And if you're living in the world thinking you have to care for your own life, I promise all manner of concupiscence will come out of you. You'll do all sorts of things. I mean, what is it? Is it Les Miserables? 
right? What was that guy doing? Because he thought he had to care for his own life. He was stealing, right? And so when you think you have to care for your own life, when you think you have to gain acceptance yourself, when you think you have to gain love yourself, all sorts of things can come out of a person, right? And the answer isn't for us to condemn them because of what's coming out of them. The answer is for us to declare that they have a father, that they aren't orphans in the earth, right? That they haven't been left alone to fend for themselves. And then you keep preaching that over and over and over again. And you keep putting God on display. You keep putting his love on display. And you leave it between him and God. God's the discerner of the heart. You ain't the discerner of the heart. There is a gift of discernment. In a moment, God could give you a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. But don't confuse that with you knowing people's hearts. You don't even know your own heart. God had to come and discern your heart for you. And now the church is walking around as if we're the discerner of the thoughts and intents of everybody's heart. And the thing we're using to judge their heart is the fruit we see coming out of their life. We're judging after the flesh. God judgeth no one after the flesh. He looks into the heart and he sees the way the world has come against that human being's heart. And he understands the pain and suffering that can come when a person thinks they're naked and they don't have life and they're trying to give themselves life. He understands it perfectly. You don't see him despising Adam for trying to clothe himself, do you? And we would have a lot more compassion for people if when we saw the fruit of death coming out of them, we didn't see the fruit of death, but we rather saw them as a person who was naked wanting to be clothed. And we saw that they're trying to clothe themselves because that's what's going on. So their problem is they just don't know God is drawn near to them to clothe them. And so they're trying to clothe themselves, but they don't have the ability to clothe themselves. And the more they try to clothe themselves, the more they're going to find thorns and thistles coming forth, right? And so you don't condemn them for the thorns and thistles. You tell them about the God that provided himself a lamb to clothe them in his life, right? And now they start being confronted with that. I have a father. It's like if you thought you were an orphan all your life and you're busy looking in the databanks trying to find where you came from because you're trying to know something about yourself and you're trying to know something about your life. It goes back into the homing mechanism. There are orphans in the earth and they're just trying to know where they came from. Isn't there anybody who cares about my life? Right? And the problem is that they found more love from the world than they have from the church. It's like gang members. They find no love in the house and so they find acceptance in this community. That's what's happened. And we can start to see it like that. They're orphans. They're not really, but they think they are. Right? They're living as if they're orphans. And we know what orphans will do in the world when they're trying to care for their own life. Right? And are we surprised they might do that? Are we surprised that if someone hasn't eaten in 30 days, they might break into a store to eat? Are we surprised what someone might do when they're trying to preserve their own life? I'm not anymore. Do you know why? Because God come and showed me when I was judging people's hearts according to the knowledge of good and evil. He said, Greg, you know what's really going on in that person that you're condemning right now? They're busy naked trying to be clothed. He said, what if you found yourself naked out in the middle of the road? Would you just stand there or would you be looking for cover, Greg? And then he showed me all the different ways in my own life I tried to cover myself. And he showed me all the fruit of death that come out in those moments. And how I became a drug addict. How I became a Pharisee. How I became all these different things. And how he never despised me or judged me when he found me in that place. Because he saw I was just a guy who was naked trying to clothe himself with fig leaves. And so he knew the answer was to come and show himself to me as the one there to clothe me. And if I could just see what he'd done to clothe me, I'd stop trying to clothe myself. Right? And if we'd start understanding the human heart that way, 
If the body of Christ could come together and say, well, we're not really qualified to discern people's hearts. We're not even qualified to discern our own hearts. Which is what it means in Jeremiah 17 when it says, who can know the heart? It's deceitful. Well, basically what God's saying is nobody can discern the heart but him. And if we would look to his discernment of the heart, what's going on in a human being when they find the fruit of death coming out of them? How does he view it? Right? Because the Bible says the sting of death is sin. Right? And you saw what that, you know what that what God thinks when he sees somebody with the fruit of death coming out of their life? He sees somebody filled with fear. He sees somebody's heart that's been stung by the death that's in this world, the abuse that's in this world, the molestation that's in this world, the trauma that's in this world. He sees their heart as something that's been abused by the world. And you know what he's thinking he wants to do? He wants to show up and remove that sting. He wants to show up and comfort their heart. He wants to, you know how he does that? I'm father, you aren't an orphan. God came to place his name behind our name, right? That's how he heals. That's a beautiful picture also of when he says, and uh, I passed by and saw you in your blood because blood represents death. Yeah. And how God says, in that place, you are beautiful to me. Yep. And how he covered, he came to cover that nakedness yep. by, by covering us with his life. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny that while you were talking, before you got on the subject of Adam and Eve, the thought came to me, and I know that the truth of what the answer is, but who, who uncovered Adam's nakedness? See, that's where we start when we're talking to people in the world because people think that God uncovers people's nakedness. Uh -huh. So if we start where he, where he came and he clothed Adam, God did not uncover Adam's nakedness. The enemy came and uncovered his nakedness and then produced this action in them to now try to cover themselves by eating from this tree that would make them wise, mm -hmm. that would be good for food to give them life. Yeah. Why do we eat? We eat because we're trying to have life, yep. correct? Yep. And so I, I saw here that that is the place that I will begin when I'm talking to anyone who I see behavior coming out of them that is the fruit of the death. And like you said, people are trying to find a covering. So if I start with the question, who uncovered Adam's nakedness? Was it God or was it the enemy? All right. So that they can begin to connect with the idea that God loves them. Yeah. And that God was the one who actually came and brought the, the garment and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. He did not despise them. He did not reject them when they went the way of the enemy. That's right. Because they belong to him. He came to sanctify his name in their That's heart. That's right. He saw the problem is my name has been profaned in their heart. That's right. And they don't see that I will clothe them. That's right. And so the, the answer was to show up yeah. and reveal himself as the one who will clothe, right? Because Which, he asked the question, who told you you were naked? That's right. Which it says in Ezekiel too, since you quoted Ezekiel, yeah. God says, I will sanctify my name because it's been profaned. Yeah. Right? How does God's name be profaned? I mean, I used to think, how does, why does God's name need to be sanctified? Because God himself says that. What does it look like for God's name to be sanctified? And what does it mean that it was profaned? The body of Christ would do a great service if they would start if they would start having commissions instead of meeting together and talk about what they're going to do about governments and stuff. If they could meet together and talk about what that meant. 
right? And, and start getting it right to preach a word that would sanctify God's name in the hearts of people. Because if God's name is sanctified in the hearts of people, yeah. do you know what they're going to do? They're going to call out to him. Yes. They're going to call out to him, right? That's right. The devil profaned God's name. He even did it to Eve, right? Why? I mean, why did Eve sin? Did Eve sin because she had a sin nature? Mm -mm. Did God create Eve with a sin nature? But she sinned. So what caused Eve to sin? And if you read closely in the scriptures and you look at it in the Hebrew, it says the devil profaned the name of God in her heart. And do you know what he came and did? He questioned God's integrity towards her life. If you look at the way the sentence is structured, what it really sounds like is, did God really tell you you couldn't eat from this tree? Implying what kind of a father would keep their children from something they need. He came and questioned God's integrity as father, as the one that will serve us with life. That's what he does in the world now. Do you know what he does it in the world now with? Death. Why do you think you hear the atheists say, how can there be a God if this happens and that happens? Mm -hmm. Right? That profanes the name of God. Right? And so God sanctified his name when he raised Jesus from the dead, yes. conquering death. Right. And he revealed, I am as I ought to be as father. You know what? You're in need of death. It's death tormenting you. You're in need of a body that can't die. You're in need of a life that can't die. Now watch me show up and give it to you free from your works. Watch me show up and give it to you when you're ungodly and dead in sin. Watch me show up and shed my own blood so that I can pour out my life. It says the life is found in the blood. And so here comes God, and God prepared himself a body so that he could come in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he could shed his own blood on the cross. And in shedding his own blood on the cross, he could redeem us from the death that was beating us and bruising us. And in his blood being shed, he could pour out of himself his life into the earth, a life that overcomes death in the flesh. And now we could see his name sanctified in the midst of the great congregation. Just like Psalm 40 talks about, I will stand in the midst of the great congregation, and I will declare your name, O God. I will declare your righteousness to pick us up out of the miry clay. I will declare your name. Abba. That's Jesus. Jesus is the preacher of righteousness. Jesus was preaching about how God would even raise him from the dead. <laughs> right? That's the kind of father we need. The world can't be the father that we need because it can't raise us from the dead. And it can't give us a life that overcomes death in the flesh. And it can't give us a peace that passes understanding or a joy that passes understanding. It can't give us any of that. So what I want to say is the world is a deadbeat dad. <laughs> right? The, the devil has created a world that has fathered a life that is empty and dead. And now he's blamed God for that. He's profaned his name. And God showed up and said, I'm no deadbeat dad. I understand what this guy's been telling you. But watch and see. Right? That's what you need. You need a life that can't die. You need a life that can't be stolen from, that can't be added to or subtracted from. You need a life that's so full that everywhere it goes, it manifests itself. That's so full that even when it encounters the death in this world, it swallows that death and leaves where there's no death. That's what we see in the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want a life that can't die? Don't you want a life that can't be hurt? Don't you want a life that can't come behind? Don't you want a life that can't be corrupted with spots and blemishes? Where do you see that life? In the body of the Lord Jesus. Because he was raised from the dead never to be able to die again. Never to be able to touch by sin and death again. No spots and blemishes in this guy. That's the life. 
You know how that life manifested in him? The Father. Do you know what that's trying to declare to all us? God is with us to manifest that life in us also. Right? To where we would say, Abba. Amen. Right? Amen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You guys understand that? He walked by us when we were in our blood, it says. To be dead in sin. That's what Ezekiel says. And it says he spread his skirt yeah. over us. Yeah. Right? And decorated us. Yeah. Right? That spreading of the skirt, do you know what it's talking about there? It's talking about Jewish marriage language. Yes. And the whole premise behind ancient uh, Hebrew marriage was that the husband or the man had a certain life. And when the man promised or asked the woman to marry him, do you know what the man promised the woman? I will spread my life over you. I will hedge you about in my life. I will decorate you in the fruit of my life. And it was meant to be a sign of God. That's why I, I think it's Isaiah that comes and says, your maker is your husband. That's the whole premise there, that God has got down on one knee to us. And God has told us, I will spread my life over you. I will hedge you about in my life. I will decorate you in my life. And if you're wondering, because a lot of women want to know, well, what kind of life you got to decorate me in? <laughs> because maybe what you got isn't going to get it done. And so God's like, I'll show you what it is. And now you see the resurrected, glorified man, Jesus. And you see that's the life that he is betrothing unto you. <laughs> right? Right. And he even goes on to say in Ezekiel, it was the time of love. That's right. Behold, I walked by you when you were dead in your sin, and my heart beheld so much beauty in you still that my heart said, it's the time of love. I'm in the mood for love. <laughs> Simply because you're near me. Right? <laughs> That's the whole deal there. That's what it's talking about. Right? God doesn't love you because you're unlovable and he's just love. I know that's how the carnal mind has explained it. Try telling your wife that she's not lovable, but you're love. And so you love her any, even though she's not lovable. <laughs> And then let me know how that works out for you or if your wife ever experiences love. Right? God loves you because when he looked at you, he beheld beauty. Right? He felt something in his heart. That's why we could even feel something in our heart. That's why I felt something for Becky. Because I'm in the image of God. And if I want to know what God felt for me when he walked by me, do you know what my reference point is? What I felt when I saw Becky walking down the stairs the first time. And slow motion happened. And her hair started flapping in the wind. And then I heard this song, Who's That Lady? Right? That, that becomes your reference point. I was walking through a casino one day, and the, this will upset the religious mind, but good. The, 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 the Queen song was on. Find me somebody to love. Find me somebody to love. Find. And I was just, you know, it's a catchy tune. And so I'm walking through the casino, him and that, and all of a sudden God was like, Greg, that's what I was singing when I was making creation. He said, and I made the trees. And eh, didn't really do it for me. And I made the angels. The angels were nice. I know even humans, not thinking right, think the angels are more beautiful than them. Nah, that didn't do it. Didn't make my heart skip a beat. I made the animals. Ah, oh, they were good. It was awesome. The water's nice. The waterfalls are nice. He's all, but you know what? Nothing 
made my heart skip a beat till I made man. Right? And that's why you see God, it says God blessed man. That word blessed in the Hebrew means Barak. I said this last week. You know what Barak means in Hebrew? To get down on one knee in adoration like a person would when they're going to propose to somebody. All that's in Adam. And Adam goes through and names all the animals. Revealing the same thing in Genesis. He goes through and names all the animals, but it says he didn't find anyone that was like him. And then what did God do? He made a woman out of him. Well, didn't God make us out of himself? Yes. Okay, so then when God, when Adam saw Eve, he was like, yes, that's it. She's like me, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I can share life with her. I can love her and she can love me back. I can talk to her about what I feel and she could feel the same thing I feel and share with me. That's what God felt when he saw us. That's what God's talking about in Ezekiel. Right? Glory to God. Anybody got anything they want to add? Does that make sense? What we're talking about? I know we bounced all around from the beginning with Matt's question. Right? Listen, to, to, to bring it back to that, everybody wants life. It's in you. Even people who commit suicide, you know why they commit suicide? Because they want life. And they think they have so much death, the only way to get away from the death and have life is to end their life. Everybody wants life, right? And so, man, hear the voice of the Lord discerning your heart for you. You want life. And now understand that the world can't give you the life you want. None of the things in the world that you're looking at right now as if they look good for food, because they do look good for food. When Jesus was starving in the wilderness, you think the idea of turning those stones into bread didn't look good for food? I promise you it did. The things in this world promise you that they can satisfy you. The things in this world tell you we can give you the peace you want. They promise you the peace and the love and joy. But man, understand today that those things are like the fig tree that Jesus saw that had green leaves that promised fruit, but when he got up on it, there was no fruit there. Those things will promise you fruit and they'll never be able to give you the fruit of life. The only thing that can give you the fruit of life is the life God has in himself. The only thing that can give you life is the life God has in himself that we see put on display in the resurrected, glorified man, Jesus. That's the only thing that can cause you to have a peace and a love and joy that overcomes the tribulation in this world. That's the only thing that can put you to rest in the midst of this world that's shadowed with death. That's the only thing. And so from this day forward, man, it's good to want life. God put that there, but start talking with God about how he's the one that has the life you need. Even if you don't understand it, like I said, start having a conversation with him. Start engaging with him about that. You will find that he will satisfy you, right? Because all the things we do in this world to try to satisfy our flesh's desire for life, none of those things work. They have an appearance of wisdom, like Paul said. Touch not, taste not, handle not has an appearance of wisdom, but it's of no power to the satisfying of the flesh, he said. Do you know why? Do you know what this flesh wants? It wants to be glorified with immortality. Do you know the only one who can do that? God, the only immortal. And as you connect with that, and you keep connecting with that, and you keep walking with God around that truth, you will find your flesh put to rest by the promise of glorification. Mo? I like the way that Paul says that very thing he says uh but it is the spirit itself that beareth witness with our spirit 
that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If so, it be it that uh, we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified with him. For I reckon that the sufferings that we now incur are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the, for the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Listen, all of creation is waiting for us to be manifest for who and what he created us to be. For the, creature, uh, for the creature itself was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason, reason of him that subjected it, that in the same hope, because the creature itself also was subject to deliverance from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of, children, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, that not only they, that be, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, when our bodies are, are changed into the likeness of his immortal body, and that spirit now dwells within us, even though our bodies may not have seen it yet. That hope that is within us brings forth life. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what we were looking for. It mortifies the flesh and animates the body with life. Yes. And I love what Paul says there, that <clears throat> I perceive the sufferings of this present world are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he connects to us having the first fruits of that spirit that produces the glorification of our bodies. Really, really what he's saying there is I reckon that the sufferings of this world are nothing compared to the peace that the spirit produces in me as I walk in this world. The sufferings of this world are nothing compared to the joy the spirit can produce in me as I walk in this world. The sufferings of this world, the rejection of this world, it's nothing compared to the love that the spirit will produce in me, right? He's talking about the life that is of God and how the sufferings of this world can't swallow that life, but that this life produces a peace that even swallows the sufferings of this world. This life produces a peace that even swallows the sufferings of this world with joy and with love. Right? And that's something we got now. Amen. We got Amen. that now. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you sowed your word in this place today. Thank you, Father, that uh, that word be watered in people's hearts, that uh, the seed would, would first grow down and be deeply entrenched in the heart, that, uh, man, that the, the sprout when it came forward wouldn't just bear the ear, but it would bear the blade and the ear and the full corn in the ear. Thank you, Lord, that you're cultivating our hearts with your truth, with your life, with who and what you are as Father. Thank you, Lord, that a mighty crop come forth in everybody that hears this word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory Amen. to God. Thanks, everybody, for sharing. That's Amen. awesome. Amen.